I knew that I had been resilient in my life. I'm somebody that people love to make assumptions about. Like they look at me and they're they're like, she has it all going on. You know, she's got it together. I have experienced lots of trauma. I've experienced, and I'm going to use your words. I've had a lot of little failures. I've had a lot of little failures in my life. And so when I got to be, you know, 56 and in a coaching program, I was like, here are the failures. Here's the trauma. Here's the challenges. And what is it that gets me through? And so the thinking courageously is really about the fact that for me, courage lives in a place of mastering or battling or being in a place of acceptance of multiple challenges and having the belief that there's something better on the other side of that. You're listening to The Wise Woman Podcast, Season 5, Episode 177. I'm your host, Alicia Wilfert, founder of Yoke and Abundance, coach to entrepreneurs, creatives, and seekers. This podcast introduces you to women on their journey to flourishing businesses and lives. Today's episode, I'm sharing my conversation with Deb Stellato, host of the Think Courageously podcast and founder of the Think Good Company. I am delighted to share today's interview with you. This episode feels so special. I'm talking to my new friend, Deb Stellato. Have you ever just met someone and immediately knew you had a connection? That's how I feel about Deb. We were recently introduced by longtime member of the Yoke and Abundance community, Liz Summers. Thank you, Liz. It turns out Deb and I have both built very similar businesses and both have a passion for coaching. But you'll see in this episode, our connection clearly goes deeper than just work. Today, Deb very compassionately and authentically shares her journey with grief after the tragic death of her mother. Deb is a curator of compassionate and courageous people and workplaces. She's a certified leadership and pivot coach, facilitator, keynote speaker, consultant, and really just so much more. I know you'll be as touched by this episode as I was. So stay tuned after a word from our sponsor. Viking Co. is a progressive boutique consulting firm that works with entrepreneurs, startups, small to medium-sized companies, and larger organizations to cultivate a place where people love coming to work. With a focus foremost on diversity, inclusion, belonging, and equity, Viking Co. pushes business leaders to push the boundaries of what a great workplace environment means and is for all of their employees. If you are starting from scratch with a small team or if you are looking to grow your current team, Viking Co. can help you to scale your business in a way that both adds to the bottom line while also boosting engagement. From talent acquisition, onboarding and compensation to HR compliance, performance management and employee relations, 
Viking Co. has worked with more than 80 companies across the country and worldwide in various stages of growth. If you're looking for strategic guidance on people programs or interim people leadership, contact Viking Co. Your people will thank you. Deb Stilato, thank you so much for being on the Wise Woman podcast with us today. It is such a joy to have you. I am so thrilled to be here with you this morning. Likewise. So we met through um, a mutual friend, Liz Summers. I just have to share that. I know we talked about it in when I was on your podcast, but I'm so grateful for her being such an incredible connector among other things. Well, it was funny. She sent me a text this morning. I woke up to a text from her saying, I heard you guys are doing a podcast swap and I'm so excited. So uh, yes, Liz, thank you so much for bringing our worlds together. Like you are so awesome at. Absolutely. So Deb, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what keeps you busy in this world? Or, you know, I say busy, but what I mean by busy is like, what keeps you full of life? I have a really interesting story of pivots in my professional life. I've done all sorts of things. I am a social worker. I have a master's in organizational development. I worked in higher education for half my career, working with college students. I worked in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space, which you know has become something that's very important to who I am. I worked in the fundraising space, and then I had the opportunity to jump into the nonprofit space, and I served as the CEO of Habitat for Humanity of the Lehigh Valley and an interim executive director role for Meals on Wheels of Lehigh County in Pennsylvania. What I really found is that I have such a passion for working with people who really want to create compassionate and courageous workplaces and who on a one-on-one level want to lead from a place of courage and compassion. So long story short, I do a lot of work. You know, what keeps me going and excited and building, you know, just joy with my business and my practice is that I am the owner of a company called The Think Good Company. And at The Think Good Company, I serve nonprofit organizations in building their leadership capacity so that they can have much higher impact in the communities that they serve. The other part of my practice is I support successful women seeking the courage to make pivots. And you'd be surprised at how much synergy there is in that work. You know, I used to think it was two very different businesses, but it's actually really around how we show up as the best version of ourselves. And, you know, aside from what I do, I'm a doodle mama. I have two little doodles that um, keep me super busy and two cats. I have a wonderful husband and I am the mother to an incredible daughter who is a professional author and writer and a stepmama to two wonderful grown children. So my world is very full and um, I'm very thrilled. I'm 60. I didn't start my business until I was... 57, 58. And so I'm a later in life entrepreneur. Oh my goodness. I love that so much. I know you are very intentional about words and I'm wondering if you can take us through a deeper dive about what it means to you to think courageously. 
Yeah, it's interesting. And I think you and I have talked about this, but the inspiration for thinking courageously came to me while I was getting certified as a coach. So I'm a certified IPEC coach. I went through my coaching certification process six months after losing my mom completely unexpectedly and while my father was dying. Mm. Doing that level of work at that time, I knew that I had been resilient in my life. I'm somebody that people love to make assumptions about. Like they look at me and they're they're like, she has it all going on. You know, she's got it together. I have experienced lots of trauma. I've experienced, and I'm going to use your words. I've had a lot of little failures. I've had a lot of little failures in my life. And so when I got to be, you know, 56 and in a coaching program, I was like, here are the failures. Here's the trauma. Here's the challenges. And what is it that gets me through? And so the thinking courageously is really about the fact that for me, courage lives in a place of mastering or battling or being in a place of acceptance of multiple challenges and having the belief that there's something better on the other side of that. And quite honestly, for me, you know, and you and I have talked about it a little bit, I would consider myself to be a person who's really gotten much more in touch with her spirituality and the role of the universe in things after this incredible tragedy with my mom. So the skill I had to learn was like for me to heal through this and for me to be able to think courageously, I needed to develop some new ways of thinking. Yeah. And me, it's been around thinking courageously. Well, thank you for sharing that. You know, before we started recording, I said that in raw, we were talking a lot about grief today. And I asked you if you could share the story of you. You said that um, you went through a 364 day grief journey. And I know that's around what happened with your parents. And I'm wondering if you can share that story with us. Sure. I'm taking a deep breath because I think it is really important for me to be vulnerable and open, you know, with people who are listening today. Today happens to be, and we're recording on August 17th, and today would have been my mom's 87th birthday. Mm-hmm. And my mom taught me everything I know about celebrating birthdays in a big way. And she always liked to celebrate a birthday in a big way. So um, this feels nice to be in a little place of uh, tribute and honoring her in this way with you this morning. So I did write about this journey in a collaborative book that I wrote with 14 other women called Elevate Your Voice. And the name of my chapter is called Living and Grieving with Courage. And it really takes people on a very detailed journey of what happened with my mother. My mom was the healthiest human I knew. She was 83. She was in incredible shape. She lived in a big, beautiful 5,000 square foot house. She was active. And I think the thing that always amazed me about my mom was like her mental acuity. She was the smartest person I knew. And she would tell you that she was the smartest person anybody knew. And so I had never even thought about her dying. Like I literally had never even thought about her dying. 
The flip side of that, which is part of the other, you know, the 364 days of grief is that my father had Parkinson's for 15 years and I watched his very slow, painful death, very slow and painful, awful. And my parents were divorced. So I wasn't observing this sort of in the same universe, but my mom, um, I'm going to share this in like a succinct way, but I had spent, it was the Jewish holidays. My husband and I had spent the night before Yom Kippur with my mother, which is like, you have a really lovely meal and then you get ready to fast the next day. And my mom and I had made this decision, like we were going to do the meal before at her house and the breaking the fast at my house. So we went to her house. We had this lovely dinner. I wasn't feeling like exactly myself. And this is important because it sort of is my story of forgiveness in this. I wasn't feeling a hundred percent myself. I had a bad sinus headache. I, I was there, but you know, there's like a piece of me that was kind of like, uh, no, I'm not at my best. We had had this like super vibrant conversation about the Supreme court. Like I remember everything about that night. We got in our car to go home as I often did with my mom because my relationship with her, as it is for most mothers and daughters, was complicated. And I was a really dutiful daughter. I adored my mother, but I also never felt like it was sort of like no matter what I did, it was never quite enough. Like I somehow kind of missed the mark. And so I knew I wasn't totally on. So in my usual style as a pleaser, I picked up the phone to call her on the way home. We live about 25 minutes apart. I called her and she didn't pick up. And I was like, oh, you know, she's probably in the shower. I texted her when we got home. She didn't answer. I texted her again. But then I was like at a place that oh, she's probably, she probably went to bed. She had entertained all those things. Long story short, when I woke up the next morning, I still hadn't heard from her. This was the third time that something had happened like this, where she like forgot her phone or she turned her phone off or anything else. But there was my intuition was telling me that this was different. And so I got in my car and I drove over there very first thing in the morning. I was going through this internal dialogue of I'm really pissed at her that she didn't respond to me like I really was. I didn't really like misbehave. You know, I hope she's not pissed off at me. And then I drove up the driveway and she had two dogs and the dogs always, 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 always were at the window, always were at the window and they weren't at the window. And so I went into the house and the dogs were in a closet shaking. I looked everywhere. I could, I couldn't find her anywhere. Couldn't find my mom anywhere. I opened, she had a a basement and where the laundry room was. And I, went down to that space. And I will share this with you in the most raw way I can. The first thing I saw was blood on the wall. Mm. And then I saw my perfectly perfect mother laying face down, uh, not alive. And I did what we're always taught to do, right? I mean, I picked up the phone as quickly as I could and called to get help. And I knew it was not a good situation. The thing about the story that's so important is that she died within the next 12 hours. She was taken to a trauma center and she suffered a traumatic brain injury. But there was something about the way that my mom looked at me when I found her that took me quite a few years to figure out 
what it was she was trying to tell me. I like to choose that she was looking right into my soul and my spirit and that we got to say goodbye. And I literally was there when she died, but it was a very powerful experience. And for months and for, you know, probably the first two years, I would wake up in the middle of the night with that vision of her. That happened September 19th and she died on September 20th, which was my daughter's birthday. And my mm-hmm. mother, my daughter and I had the most incredible relationship. And fast forward, my dad, again, totally different set of circumstances, but died 364 days later after a long battle with Parkinson's disease. It was even more than a 364-day grief journey. It's almost four years since I lost my mom. And grief lives always right at the surface in the rawest place that it can be. Deb, thank you for sharing and entrusting us with your story. You know, you never know, like, it never feels like the words are the right words to share with someone, but thank you for sharing your story with us. And I know how painful it is to lose a loved one. I know that losing someone in such an unexpected way has got to be incredibly painful. Something you said early on really struck me of like, You said you never expected, she's healthy, vibrant, alive. You never expected to lose her. And that is something I I connect with very much as my dad passed away. His office was in the basement and he had a treadmill down there. And after he went for his run, he sat down on the treadmill and died. So very different situation, but you know, we just, none of us ever know. And that was my first experience in the fragility of life. I think that, first of all, I feel really grateful that I was 36 years old before I experienced the fragility in that way. And it's a part of your story that I think can be so jarring in the long term when we're confronted with mortality as well. It's not just losing. And I don't mean just, but it's not simply losing someone that is very dear to us. It's that when we lose someone who is that dear to us, we are also then confronted with the mortality of ourselves, the mortality of everything and everyone around us and that impermanence. Yeah, for sure. My story is about that experience, but I think more importantly in some ways is how I have found healing the irony of life is those those things happened and six months after losing my dad, COVID happened. And, you know, I had stopped and restarted my business and twice and I was not a spring chicken starting my business. And so I think, you know, what can't be lost in this fragility piece of things is like how we show up for our own grief and making our pivots. Because honestly, It would have been quite easy for me to just say, I can't do this anymore, especially when COVID came. Like, I just don't energetically have it in me to do this. But I think when we open ourselves up to healing and continuing the hard personal work, then we're able to, you know, you said it earlier, what happened in Raw around this, like service, the card that you pulled and the call to service. That's what I feel like the universe gave me, that card. Uh, a call to service. Yeah. You said at the beginning of telling that story that in order for you to work through the grief that you had to 
really do a deep dive into spirituality and new tools. Are you comfortable talking about what that part of the journey has been like? For sure. You? Sure. It's sort of a, it makes me smile story, the healing part of it. So my dad died in September, I guess six months afterwards, right? Literally six months afterwards was when COVID started. My daughter and I had been to this beautiful place in the Poconos called Woodlock Lodge, uh, Woodlock Spots, beautiful, beautiful space. And I felt like I was suffocating. I felt like I was suffocating and I needed to run away. Like I needed to run away. And my healing journey, I talk about in the book, was around three visits that I made to Woodlock, each of which got me in touch with reconnecting with my mom. You know, as a woman who grew up in the Jewish faith, we have a very different, the liturgy, I guess, around death and Judaism is like you live and you serve at your highest level while you're on earth, but you're not, you're not going someplace else. You know, you're not going someplace else. And, you know, it's, it's really final. So the concept of angels or the concept of symbols or the concept of, reconnecting in all those ways was not something that I was fully comfortable with at that time. And also like, there was a part of me that was like, I'm not sure my parents who are now gone would be super excited with me playing in this, like listening to the universe. You know, it's not that I grew up in a religious family. I would consider myself to be like a, we call it a high holiday Jew where you would go just basically go on those days. But here I was in a space, the worst thing that could have possibly happened in my life happened on September 19th to me. I needed to figure it out and it was going to not come. My healing was, I went to grief counseling and I did a lot of work, but ultimately what I, what I learned was for me, and you know, this is like whatever your faith journey is, I'm a Taurus. So, you know, I'm pretty rooted in the earth. You know, I'm like a person who will walk around my house on the grass without my shoes on just to kind of soak up that energy, my, you know, my roots and nature. So what I found for me was like when I allowed myself to be fully open in this place, some pretty miraculous things happened that gave me hope and belief that my mom was just with us in a different way. And so my journey was, you know, the universe has your back. And I needed that. I needed a different interpretation of what my relationship was with my mom and how it was going to look moving forward than what I could have ever imagined. Yeah. Yeah. Are you comfortable sharing anything that happened while you were there? Yeah. They're two really beautiful stories. There's, there's a lot of kind of funky things that happened. You know, one was when I went there the first time I went by myself, it was the first time I'd ever like checked into a hotel by myself. And I like had thrown everything on my bed and ran out to this hammock that I knew was there. And my coach at the time had said to me, I was like, I'm not going to bring a journal and I'm not going to bring my camera. I just want to be alone. And she's like, I really want you to bring your journal. So I did. I decided to bring my good camera. I turned the camera on. And the first thing that happened was like when you have a good digital SLR, it opens up to the last picture you took, right? And it was a picture of my mom's house, the address sign. My mom lived in this beautiful wooded property 
and it looks exactly like Woodlock does. So I was like, okay. That was the very first thing that happened. Another thing that happened in one of my journeys was I, I decided, you know, I was going to take myself for a walk. And I went on this walking trail. Again, I had my camera with me and walking this trail. It wasn't that well marked. And so I wasn't sure, like, should I keep like, I really wanted to see this garden. Should I keep walking or should I turn around? Did I miss it? Should I, what should I do? And I literally remember like taking three steps forward, then turning around, then like, no, I really want to go forward and then turning around. And then a third time it happened. And at the time that I turned around to go forward to this garden, the most beautiful doe showed up. Oh gosh, it's a very powerful moment. Um, She stopped in her tracks and I stopped in my tracks. And like, if you know deer, they're very skittish. So she could have run away, but she stopped and I stopped and we looked at each other in the eye and that look that she had in her eye was almost the same look that my mother had when I found her. So that was, it was one of those experiences that like would drop you to your knees, whatever your spirituality is, you know, that moment I took a picture of her and I have the picture of her. Um, Deb, you know, what's so cool about that is, I mean, so it is so cool period. And, um, in the animal spirit deck by Kim Krantz, it's an Oracle deck. Kim's interpretation of the deer in the earth element is loving, intuitive, the mother. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, (laughs) that's so wild. It's just like a lot. It's so many goosebumps and, you know, but I think the skill set for me, and we had talked about this when you were on my show, was allowing myself to believe that that actually was my mom. (sighs) Mm. Like not to be skeptical, but to just embrace it. And like, we all get our choice in how we interpret things. Like we all get our choice. I could have said like, oh, I'm close to the deer. I'm afraid. But that is not what happened at all. I was, I was a hundred percent certain that that was my mom. A hundred percent certain. And there was nothing in my experience that it would have prepared me with my faith tradition to say yes to that interpretation. Mm. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I think that, um, I can really relate to the part of a faith tradition potentially clouding what we know in our hearts to be true. And that, that and that's not me wanting to speak despairingly about a faith tradition. However, you know, I was raised very, very Catholic. And while that is not my, that is not at all what my spirituality is around now, it definitely set the stage for me. And you know, my 
you know, I was always taught like, don't dabble in things like don't dabble with Oracle cards or tarot cards or like, I I was not allowed to play with a Ouija board. I mean, in my mom's interpretation of it is like, yeah, there's spirits and things out there and don't open that door to bad things. You know, like it's what, what (laughs) she would interpret it as. And I don't receive that in that way. (laughs) My boyfriend says that to me a lot. Like I don't receive that. And and it tickles me sometimes. And so with my dad, when, after he passed, I was driving to Ohio a lot to visit my mom, which it's a nine hour drive from where I live up to Ohio. And one of the drives that I was making, I had Oprah's super soul Sunday, you know, playing and a much, much older episode with this guy, Ainsley McLeod came on and he is, he's an intuitive that dead people visit him, spirits visit him. And he was talking about how these are his, the guides and he knows how to talk to his guides and he can talk to our guides. And it's just a gift that he has. And he was like, but really all of us can do it. All of us have this ability and you just have to cultivate it. And so I immediately ordered his book and then read the part about like, okay, how to work with guides. And I sat down very skeptically and called in my guides. And uh, I just instantly heard my dad's chuckle. of just like, just right there. Like he had this chuckle and I was just like, Oh, okay. You are not who I thought was going to show up actually, but like, that's what, who showed up. And I had the sense that my, um, my, my dad's father, my grandpa Wilford, who I loved very much was there, was present. And my mom's mom, just, I just had a sense that that Trinity of folks was looking out for me. And then throughout the rest of that year, I had some really poignant experiences with their energy and have since done a lot to continue to cultivate those relationships and the relationships, not with those three ancestors, but other ancestors as well, because I started to feel like, gosh, if I can have a a relationship that feels meaningful to me with these folks, why can't I have a relationship with other people in my ancestral line as well? And so I'm currently, um, one of the the many things that I have done recently, you know, a lot of my work as a coach, I like to work through creative mediums as a way to connect with my energy, connect with the energy of other people. So I have this project this year of, I made a list of 12 of my ancestors who have passed and I, each month, once a month, I watercolor their picture on like an Oracle sized card, uh, Oracle card, and even ancestors that I've never met. And I, for those that I can, I've gathered information from like my dad's cousins or things like, or my dad's brothers and sisters to find out what I can find out about these ancestors and created like all right, when this card shows up, this is this, but I don't need those cards to feel their presence because I've, these, I, these are ancestors whose presence I have already felt within the last four years. So I know that there's a relationship there, but I want to deepen that relationship. And so that's one of the projects this year that I've, I've been working on because I believe so deeply in, in these types of relationships. And I believe it's a way for us to heal from grief 
And also I think it's a door to healing ancestral wounds that are still present in life today. So. Uh, so you and I have, we've spent some time together, but we haven't had this conversation. So it is so amazing that you are doing that. And it makes me feel just even more drawn to you and the work that you're doing and the creative work. And, you know, the, the last part of that, that third trip to Woodblock, my daughter was like, we're, let's, let's, we're going to do a medium. And we, we, we sat together and it was via zoom. And again, like my mother would have been like, are you freaking kidding me? Um, but let me tell you, she showed up super big for this woman. Like it was huge. So thank you, mom, for, you know, whatever, like, because I was 58 at that time or whatever, and I still needed her permission and she gave it to me by showing up in such a way. But I love what you're talking about that ancestral thing. And, you know, I had that experience. I was working with a, um, so again, you and I have very similar journeys. I, I was working with this woman who's a, a like fifth level Reiki master. And I had, I had gone, you know, I think what happens is, and people will tell you that the more you open yourself up to this experiences, like you can go, you know, it's like hypnosis. You can go someplace, but the more you do it, the more you open yourself up, the yeah. more you ask for things, the more that you receive them. And so the last time I was, did that work, you know, I had twin sisters that were born between my brother and myself that I never met. They were born as preemies and at like five months old. And today they, they would have lived. Right. But we never talked about them. Mm -hmm. I never knew anything about them except for the fact that it had happened and they came into that Reiki session. And the, the woman was like, I see these two, like, little fairies and I saw she saw this very tall man and I think that was my grandfather who I never had met and these two little fairies and and I could see them so clearly and like yeah okay I'm gonna say this and it's gonna sound crazy but I'm gonna say it anyway um I have really come to believe that those two fairies have manifested themselves as my dogs um because they're I call them the sisters I call them like so, you know, I choose that because when I look at them and I love them like in such a powerful way and I'm so connected to them, I kind of love the idea that, you know, here's another part of my family that's with me in this other way. Yeah. Um, so thank you for letting me share that. I think all of these things lead, lead, lead me to a place where instead of feeling this overwhelming loss in my life. I'm able to use this wisdom to redefine what being with other people might look like. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you feel this way, but one of the things around the loss of my dad is that I, I actually have an ancestor altar now. And um, every morning I take a cup of coffee and say hello to them. And I sing to them, <laughs> like, I'll do this really silly, like, good morning. We're all in our places with sun shining faces. Good morning. Good morning to you. Like, so just, I just um, <gasps> love that, <laughs> you know, like I'll go be silly and I'll like 
thank them for being active and a part of my life. And so I'm, I'm seeing my dad's face. He's on my ancestor's altar every day. And I'm thinking about him very actively and lovingly every day. And I, you know, I write to him many times a week. And so I, my dad was not a phone person. So we did not talk on the phone often. And he was a man of few words, but very loving and very kind, but he showed up through acts of service. And when I go, when I would go home, I felt very close. I felt very loved. I felt very cared for, you know, I felt like he was just the rock of our family. And, but I didn't have this communication relationship with him outside of that. And I wish my dad was here every day. However, I do feel like I have a deeper relationship with him now than I did when he was alive. And that's a weird thing for me to wrap my head around. Yeah, that's really powerful. You've redefined the relationship. Absolutely. And and I think that I wanted to share that because I think that for those listening, no matter what the grief is and the conversation we were having prior to this in raw, right before this interview was around disenfranchised grief and people who have lost animals that are just like members of their family and Mm -hmm. rather recently for them and the pain of going through that and not getting cards or food or people sharing the grief with them in the way that we would if a person died and not knowing how to process that or talk about it when people think you should be over it and it not over it or judging you for getting a new animal right away or whatever it is. And I I want to share that because no matter who it is, no matter what kind of grief it is, no matter what kind of relationship, I don't think it ends at the moment the person takes their last breath. Like to me, that spirit is still around. It's still present and it's taken another form. I mean, what I know for sure about the science that I was taught is that energy is neither created nor destroyed. So that didn't go anywhere. It's still here. It's still here. It's still present with us. And how we want to interact with that energy is up to us. Yeah, I, I think that conversation you were having this morning is just really powerful. And, you know, in the middle of all of that, that 364 days, I also lost two dogs. Oh, my um, and they were, yeah, it was, it was like too, it was literally like too much to bear. And so these two doodles that came into my life, you know, we, we have a very special relationship, but I think, you know, the thing about grief is that it is about loss in the most, like at the deepest, deepest level. And I remember my grief counselor telling me people's relationship with grief has everything to do with your temperament and the relationship you had with that person. And so my temperament didn't change between my parents, but the depth of my relationship with my mother and the trauma, like I oftentimes think about, gosh, well, this, you know, these days get milestone days get easier. And then I think, you know, Deb, be kind to yourself because the other piece of this is that you experienced a level of trauma 
that most people will never experience. And so, you know, it's, it is like, I'm sure you, you get what I'm saying when I say this, Alicia, but it's like so deep when you lose a parent, it is just so under all these surfaces. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, just knowing what the work of this podcast is just knowing that you can find wisdom and peace in a different relationship is really like this beautiful piece of grief. Yeah, I absolutely agree. <laughs> I absolutely agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I feel like I could have you back and we could have like 500 more conversations. We didn't even really get to dive into really thinking courageously or pivoting very deeply. So we'll certainly have to have you back in the future to talk about those things. If you could leave listeners with any additional thoughts, what would you like to share? I oftentimes think about my mom knowing this evolved version of myself. And I often think I wish that she could have experienced it. And I I guess what I would leave people with is as part of my grieving experience and my transformation since all that happened is that she does know, but more importantly, I've done the hard work to get to a place where I can honor Mm. her and the way that she raised me in such a place of love and servant service and abundance. And I think for me, you know, my mantra is, you know, I am peace, I am joy, I am love, I am abundance. And that grounds me and find what it is that is sacred to you and and allow yourself the freedom to explore that. Absolutely. And my very last question for you is how do you live a life of abundance? Every day, you know, you practice Every day you practice everything that you and I do, all the work that we do, it's all about the practice. It's all about giving ourselves the headspace. It's about developing powerful practices. I'm on day three of my artist way. I've been writing my three pages. I love that. You have inspired me. I might even, I'm thinking I might even jump into raw, but um, please. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think that, um, the the way to to do this is to develop the discipline and the practice to call in abundance and to realize every day i mean i realize every day how grateful i am so i live in a place my my big hashtag is you know grief trumps gratitude or gratitude trumps grief i should say <laughs> so, being in a place of gratitude is really i think what calls in abundance Deb, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. You and I have lots more adventures to take together. We do. A huge thank you to you for tuning in today. Let's do it again next week. In the meantime, I have a quick favor to ask. If you enjoyed today's show and know another woman who needs to hear this episode too, could you share it with her right now? Just text her the link and be sure to let her know why this episode is a must listen. Remember, sharing is caring, so spread the love. 
Thank you so much for being a part of this Yoke and Abundance community. I do it all for you. I hope these episodes make you feel seen, heard, and loved. A huge thank you to our sponsor, Fike Co. Thank you to Ira Sterling of Julia Sound Recording for our theme music. And thank you to my editor, Tumani Johnson of FX Media for his work on today's episode. Keep creating, making, and sharing it with the world because that is true abundance.